fast forward. Boy, oh boy. All right. Well. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of those tonight, believe me. <laughs> All right. Acts chapter 7. I tell you what, we'll, uh, we'll go and then we'll, we'll sing as we close tonight. How's that? We'll just do a different, little bit different order. Is that all right, Jeff? We're all right with that? Can we do that? Can we sing in, in, we'll just do it different order. Okay. Is that all right, Shirley? Different order. Okay. Thanks. We're all on the same page. Hey, this is great. All right. Act seven. This is Stephen's defense. Now he was one of the seven that was chosen to resolve this issue in the Hellenistic Jews. It was an issue between the Hellenistic Jews and the Hebrews, uh, the native Hebrews. Uh, there was a dis, uh, some disagreement. There was some strife that the Hellenistic Jews were not, uh, the widows there were not being uh, treated fairly or given uh, what they were entitled to have. And, um, and for that reason, they chose seven men uh, out from the congregation. This is chapter 6. And those seven men uh, were really charged with resolving whatever conflict there was and moving forward to handle uh, this uh, ministry of serving tables. That was chapter 6. And uh, we find that in uh, verse 7 and 8, we get a context for verse, for verse 1 and following in chapter 7. So we'll start there in verse 8 of chapter 6. Chapter 6, verse 8, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was performing great wonders and signs among the people. But some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen. Now, they were supposedly freed men, but you're going to find out they weren't really free enough. They were not free in Jesus. They were, uh, they perhaps had been slaves, had been set free and formed this synagogue of, uh, dedicated to Judaism, of course. But these, these men, some men from what was called the synagogue of the freedmen, including both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and some from Cilicia. And Cilicia should jump off the page because that's where the Apostle Paul was from. And some believe that he would have attended the synagogue there in Cilicia. And Asia rose up and argued with Stephen. So Stephen's, you know, he's God's vessel. He's God's servant. And they're arguing with Stephen, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly induced men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Now, that's what you would expect that died in the wool Jews would say. Those that are, um, those that are dedicated to Judaism, those who are not Christians, not believers in Jesus. And the Bible says in verse 12, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came up to him and dragged him away and brought him before the council. Now, some of this sounds familiar, right? Jesus, you know, he was, there's some differences here, but there's a common denominator in that there was opposition 
both Jesus and then his followers faced opposition. They put forward false witnesses who said this man incessantly speaks against this holy place and the law. This holy place referring to the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Nazarene Jesus will destroy this place and alter the customs which Moses handed down to us. And fixing their gaze on him, all who were sitting in the council saw his face like the face of an angel. So that's the, the context is Stephen has, he's, he's God's man. He's got a ministry going here, not only serving tables, but obviously he is serving the word and he is opposed. So the high priest, now we think that since uh, Caiaphas was the high priest until 36 AD, that, uh, you know, he was high priest when Jesus uh, went to the cross and he continues to have that position here. And the high priest said, are these things so? And he said, hear me, brethren and fathers. So the he there in verse two is Stephen. And he is going to begin to speak. And this is his defense. His defense, but really more than a defense of the gospel, this is his testimony of God's work in history. So he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. So Stephen, knowing that uh, history is important to the Jews, and, and at least their Judaism and their books talked of God. They were familiar with Abraham. And so Stephen is going to start there. He starts with God. Notice the God of glory. This beautiful, that is our God. Our God is the God of glory. You know, we love to read out of the scriptures the great encounters that men, that, that God brings to men. You can read about Ezekiel in the Old Testament. You read about Isaiah and what happens when they see God. They see this God of glory. Uh, Abraham had an encounter with the God of glory. But he says, the God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran and said to him, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this country in which you are now living. But he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, and yet even when he had no child, he promised that he would give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke to this effect, that his descendants would be aliens in a foreign land, 
and that they would be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. And whatever nation to which they will be in bondage, I myself will judge, said God. And after that, they will come out and serve me in this place. And he gave them the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. Yet God was with him. And we'll stop right there. So the first, let's say the first eight verses, roughly, uh, of Stephen's defense, of his testimony of God and his, his work among the people, beginning with Abraham, this testimony has to do with God's call of Abraham. So I thought this would be a good time to go back to Genesis 12 and to look at this call of Abraham. And just to notice some things very quickly tonight about this call. So what we can gather from Acts chapter 7 and Stephen's testimony uh, and he has to know his life is on the line. And he also knows that he, ha- he has a conscious uh, sense of God's presence. They saw his face like the face of a what? An angel. And what that tells us is that Stephen is at peace with where he's at, even facing the opposition of the Jews that he is at peace, that he is, is right with God, and that uh, he is confident in the Lord helping him through and giving him the words to say. Because you read that. You read that sermon, and it's very spontaneous. Listen, Stephen, Stephen didn't have to practice this or rehearse this for an hour before he went to this defense. This is spontaneous. This is unfolding. This was in his heart. This was on his mind. This was what God wanted communicated. And uh, he's going to let the chips fall where they may. Genesis 12. This is where Stephen goes. You'd think maybe he'd go back to Matthew or Mark or Luke, or John, go back to the Gospels and give a testimony of Jesus. He goes all the way back to Genesis 12. He's working with Jews. He's working with the Hebrews. He's working with those who rejected Jesus. And they continue to reject the work of the Lord. So let's look at this. We've got, we've got four, four points. The first point, well, the title here, it has to be God Speaks, Yahweh Speaks, That's the nature of our God. He loves to reveal himself to people. I mean, hey, he could run off and hide. He could be silent. He is not silent. He's at work. And he is at work revealing himself. And we we can get more specific on that, but that's what we have to know about our God. He is the one true God. And he is a God who reveals. He is a God who appears. He is a God who instructs. He is a speaking God. So, Yahweh speaks. Point one, and this is Genesis 12, 1 through 3, 
God's call to leave all. Now, here's a mistake that folks make when they read Abraham here. We read it and we think, wow, that's a great example of being obedient to God. That's true. But it's more than that. This is more than just a simple act of obedience that you can equate some act of obedience in your Christian life. This is the obedience of faith to be converted. (laughs) Abraham is becoming God's child. This is not everyday, ordinary obedience of a Christian life. This is what we would call conversion. Because it is God's call to leave all. It's conversion. Look at it. Verses 1 through 3. Who initiates? Why would God initiate? Because he wants to reveal himself. You know, it's like we, we, we know Jesus, you know, Jesus came to reveal the Father. Why did he come? Because the Father wants converts. He wants people in heaven with him. I mean, it's just, it, it amazes me sometimes. I guess it's our human nature, but we think, well, you know, why, why would God want to save me? I mean, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, why would he? Why? He really does want to save. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he, he gave us the Bible. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have the fellowship and the testimony of faith in the congregation because God wants to reveal himself. And we see him doing it. We have proof of it right here. Now the Lord said to Abraham. And this Yahweh, that's a big deal. It just means God is a relational God. Yeah, he's all powerful, but this all powerful, holy God wants to reveal himself to men and women so that he can have a relationship with them wherever they are. And and this may be offensive to some, but uh, when Abraham wasn't in Israel when God revealed himself. He was in Ur of the Chaldees. So what does it tell you about God? He knows no boundaries. God, God is with us. He's with two ladies in jail. He's with you, whether you're in DeKalb County or Noble County. It doesn't matter what country you are. You can travel. And guess what? God is with you. And that wasn't what they believed about the pagan deities. They had to stop at the border and they had to pick up another pagan deity to go on in those pagan religions. God speaks, doesn't matter where you are, doesn't matter who you are. God reveals himself. Why? Because he wants a relationship. So he gives Abraham this call to leave all. Look at this. The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. So there's the command. The command is, there's two, really two imperatives here. The first one is go. You think about that. And we're going to find out a little later, he's old. 
It's not like he's a spring chicken just uh, starting out in life and seeking his fortune. No, he's 75 years old when God calls him. And that's a, that was a hill to climb. But God calls him forth, go. That's the first imperative. And then the second one is B. He says, to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so you shall, there it is, be a blessing. Two imperatives, go and be a blessing. And you know what? Lo and behold, that's the same command that God gives us. He calls us and he says, go. And he says, be a blessing. Where are we going? Well, we're following him. We're following Jesus. And that, that is a direct command. You come, Jesus is, follow, Jesus is leading and we're following. Go and be. Go and be. That's what he did with Abraham. And what I love about this, this first part is like three verses there. You see him. He says, I will, well, we'll read the third verse. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. There's two words there. Uh, One is, uh, the first curse should be, I think it's a little strong because there's a difference in the words. It should be treat lightly. The one who treats you lightly, I will curse. And that's the strong word for curse. And the Lord just says, basically what that word means is, the one who treats you lightly, the one who treats you and your faith lightly, I will banish from the blessing. Because it's all about blessing. Why does God call us? Why does God say go? Why does God say be? So he can bless you. So he bless you. That's why. That's right there. Look at it. I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you, I will curse. I will banish. I will, I, they will not enjoy the blessing. And in you, he says, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, here's what's interesting. When God speaks, uh, we usually get a speech. And we usually get a couple imperatives. He tells us what to do. And then what we see here, and it's really simple. What do we see with Abraham? He's going to act. So this is, this is the way God works. He speaks so we can respond with action. The same thing for conversion, isn't it not? Is it not? You have God speaking. God gives us the plan of salvation. We have it in the scriptures. God's, God reveals Jesus to us. We have the conviction of sin in our own heart. We need a savior. We know we need a savior. We're separated from God. We need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus who brought the sacrifice for our sin, who bore our sin in his body. And what do we do? He says, repent and believe. So we have this beautiful gospel that is stated. It's all about Jesus. It's all about his suffering and his death and his burial and his resurrection and his exaltation to the right hand of the Father. And in response to what he has done, we are to repent and believe. And what is repentance? It's right here. It's leaving all. Because repentance is reorientation. It's There was a time my life was oriented around, guess who? Me. And you laugh, but there was probably a time when your life was oriented about who? 
you. But when we know what Jesus, when we find out what Jesus has done from, for us and we repent, that means we're not, we're not oriented around, it's not about, I'm not the center of the universe. I never was. I was thinking that might be true. No, that was never true. But now the focus is not here. And the focus is not on what I want. The focus is on Jesus. That's what repentance means. It means reorient your life around Christ. And that's what, that's what we see here with go. Go for, leave your country, leave your relatives, leave your father's house and go to the land, which I will show you. And then God gives these, you know, it's, it's an imperative in three promises. And I think another imperative in three promises. God is so good. You know, he gives the imperative, but they're promises. He says, uh, right there in verse two, we have the promises. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. That's three promises in verse two. And then he gives him the next imperative. So you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. So those who respect you and your faith, those who uh, gravitate or resonate to you and your faith, the Lord says, I'll bless them. And the one who curses you, the one who treats you lightly, I will curse. I will banish or keep away from the blessing. And in you, this is the third promise, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. I mean, that's our God. And it's just beautiful. It's, it's, and, and here's the wonderful thing about it. This is God revealing himself to Abraham. And then the beautiful part is verse four. What do you do with that, Abram? Right there it is. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So he had been in Ur, and when they left Ur, he had his dad with him, Terah. You can read about it up there in verse 32. And they made it as far as Haran, but they still were not where God wanted them. Finally, Terah dies. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran, Then the Lord reveals himself to Abram and says, go forth. He's still not far enough. He still hasn't gone where God has destined him to go. So we find in verse four, Abram going forth. And this is, and what you're going to see is a continuous journey. God calls Abram to a continuous walk with the Lord. And that is what salvation and sanctification is all about. It is a continuous walk with the Lord. And it is a response of repentance and faith to God's revelation of himself. And you wonder, how do you apply that in the New Testament? Well, God has revealed himself and his will in his son. In the past days, he spoke through the prophets. But in this current time, he is speaking through his son. And we have the New Testament before us. We have the Holy Spirit within us. We have the fellowship of the saints around us. And we have a God who answers prayer. And he leads his dear children along and it's through thick and thin it's through trials and we you read about 
Abraham and his trials and all this, all the things that he went through. So there it is. The action is verse four. There we have it. The obedience of faith. Chapter 12, verses four through six. He went forth as the Lord had spoken and lot with him. And Abram is 75 years old. I'm going to tell you, by 75, he is, you know, I mean, I don't know if you want to go very far from home at 75. But God calls him. And, and it's really encouraging here. He, he, he is a relatively old man. He's an older man. And God doesn't have a problem calling him forth, saving his soul. And we know he had, he had other purposes Another purpose for Abram, that he would be the father of many nations, that he would be the father of faith. And then verse 5, Abram took Sarah, his wife. So one person has described it as Abram took so-and-so. And then he also took his stuff. I mean, it's like he takes, he takes him, he brings himself and then he takes his people and then he takes his possessions. Yeah, he doesn't leave his possessions behind, which is interesting. Abram took Sarah's wife and Lot his nephew and all their possessions, which they had accumulated, and the persons which they had acquired in Haran. So it's not a small company. It's not just Abram. So who are the people they took or they had acquired in Haran? Some people said slaves, but the word there in the Hebrew is nepos. It's not slaves. There's another word for slaves. These are people who believed like Abraham believed. These are the people that responded to the revelation of God like Abraham responded to the revelation of God. In fact, already God is bringing out a company of people. And they set out for the land of Canaan, which is where God destined them to go. Thus they came to the land of Canaan. And then verse 6, Abram passed through the land as far as the site of Shechem. To the oak of Moreh, now the Canaanite was then in the land. Okay, so obedience, the obedience of faith, in spite of his age, he was 75. In spite of a larger company of people, there were those, that company of people, and then in spite of opposition, because the Canaanites were pagan, and we find out they're in the land that God is leading Abraham to. And and notice what it says here. Abraham passed through the land as far as the side of Shechem to the oak of Moreh. Moreh means teacher. And it says the Canaanite was then in the land. The oak or the terebinth tree was a big deal in pagan instruction. They would offer sacrifice at the terebinth tree or the oak of Moreh. This was a place where the Canaanites talked their paganism, instructed the people in their paganism. And what we find is that we have darkness and we have light. And Abraham is not part of that group. So there's opposition to Abraham. And that's what we find in our lives. There is opposition to our Lord and to those who love the Lord. Then we have the confirmation of the promise. So the God, that God would confirm what he's already told Abraham. So what's he say? Right there it is. Verse 7a. Very short point, but significant. 
the Lord appeared to Abram and said, he said to your descendants, I'll give this land. So the Lord is encouraging him there. We just read about opposition in verse six and here the Lord is right there. You know, the Lord leads us along. The Lord encourages us. What we find out is the Lord can do anything to encourage his people. But just because he can appear to someone doesn't mean he will. So what has he given us? Jesus. He did show us the son. Absolutely. We have Jesus. We have him through the, throughout the pages of the New Testament. We have his testimony. We have his death, burial, and resurrection. We have all that encouragement coming from Christ. He says, to your descendants, I'll give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what do you need to follow Jesus? What do you need to follow God? Two things. We learn this from Abraham. You need a tent and you need an altar. You need a tent and an altar. You don't have to have three cars. You don't have to have the biggest house on the block. All you need is a tent and an altar. You need somewhere to rest your head. And you need somewhere to rest your heart. And in this, this is really good because God called. Why did God call him? To worship the Lord. And so Abraham built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Then he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent, there it is, with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east, and there he built an altar. Second time we've read that, he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. You know how uh, Martin Luther translated that last part of verse 8, where it says, and called upon the name of the Lord? And he preached, and he preached. To call upon the name of the Lord is to give a public proclamation of God, in his case, and Jesus in ours. So it is, this Christianity, we've said it, it is a very public thing. And it's a very public thing for Abraham. I don't think he snuck out in the middle of the night when he was leaving Ur or Haran. I think it was a very public thing. He left with a company of people. He's following God. He's got his little tent. He's got his altar. There's the Canaanites. They're worshiping in their way, but there is Abraham at his altar, and he is worshiping the one true living God, and he is proclaiming this one true living God. And I love verse 9. Abraham journeyed on. He just journeyed on. And that's what we do as believers. We journeyed on. And you're thinking right now, well, Brother Bill, it's about time for us to be journeying on. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to journey on tonight. But continue to follow the Lord. Look for his encouragement in your life. Receive his encouragement in your life. Continue to follow him. Don't get all caught up. Listen, have you ever heard in this congregation of people that we need to be about accumulating stuff? In our lives, that we need to go to buy bigger houses and more cars and have more stuff. No, you've never heard it because we don't need that. What we need is greater faith in God. And if anything, probably a little more simplicity in our lives. It helps me to know tonight that all I need to please God is a tent and an altar. 
I just need a place to lay my head. And I need, I like a dining room table too. I like to eat. All right. So I, I don't want to say I'm not eating, but I, I need a place to lay my head and I need a place to rest my heart in worship of the one true God. So don't get caught up in all this complicated mess going on around us. Keep it simple. God calls, we reorient, we repent, we reorient around Jesus. He is the focal point. He is the center to glorify him in our lives and to glorify God. And we follow him. And it's not going to be easy. We're going to have trials just like Abraham. We're going to have setbacks. But you know what we do? We journey on. And a while ago, what did we say about that? We're about to journey on. Those doors will open and we'll go out into the night and journey back to our tent and our altar. Well, Father in heaven, thank you uh, for this evening. Thank you for Abraham and what you're able to communicate to us about this, uh, this faith. And uh, we uh, ask your blessing on each person, again, for the requests that are on the board, and then the requests that are just, they just remain deep in our hearts. The things that we don't mention, the things that are maybe too personal to mention. God, we welcome your activity and intervention in those ongoing requests for for friends, for neighbors, for children, for grandchildren and great-grandchildren. God, go where we can't go to do what we can't do to draw men and women, adults and children to yourself. We'll give you all the glory. And we thank you in advance in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let's sing one. Can we sing or are we going to journey on? Do you know a song about journeying on? (laughs) Want to sing? Let's stand and sing. I'm so forgetful. Yeah. We're not, we won't hold anybody.